Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day you are listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Define Your Success podcast brought to you by me, women's long jump Olympic finalist, Abigail Irosaru. I am so excited to bring to you this series of episodes titled The Athlete's Experience. Each episode will provide you with a mini dive into the life, mindset, and behind the scenes of an elite athlete experience, discussing training, camps, competitions, retiring in your 20s and 30s, and so much more. In this episode, I am so excited to have two conversations. In fact, three. There is a bonus conversation at the end because I'm new to this podcasting thing and I may have missed a question for Morgan Lake, and so I've had to introduce another bonus guest I will hold her name until the end (laughs) just so you can get a full flavor of the Olympic experience from a team GB perspective one from Tom Gale a Tokyo Olympic debutant and Morgan Lake a two-time Olympian and of course that third and final guest I hope you enjoy this episode with the injury I've kind of found myself looking back at what could have been and you've just almost got to take the lessons from it and just move on to the next things. If I have a second where I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, or maybe I'm not competing very well, I can almost just scream at myself and say, now nah, look at all the times you've mm-hmm. performed phenomenally well in terrible circumstances. Okay, I am here with two-time Olympian, Morgan Lake and that is all I'm going to say as an introduction because actually I want you to introduce yourself to my podcast listeners on Define Your Success. Good morning, well afternoon, evening, whenever (laughs) anyone's listening to this. Um, I'm Morgan Lake, yeah as Abby said, two-time Olympian for the high jump, Um, yeah former heptathlete but now just focusing on the high jump so yeah nice to be here. That's interesting. I love that you are a former heptathlete. What made you change from becoming a heptathlete yeah. to a high jumper? Um, a multitude of things, to be honest. Uh, first thing being, so in 2016, I was trying to qualify for the heptathlon in Rio, um, but I already had the high jump qualifying. And it was almost like, okay, I knew I was going. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll just park high jump for a bit and just focus on the heptathlon. Didn't get the heptathlon qualifying, so I was like, cool, I'll go for high jump. Um, and then the same thing happened 2017 year for World Champs, so I was like, didn't quite make that heptathlon score, so I was like, cool, home games, like, I'm going to go for high jump. And then the champs kept coming and coming, and I was like, I'm only qualifying for the high jump, whereas I guess I could have taken the route right. I'm going to take a year off champs and just focus on the heptathlon, but I was like, you know what, like, I'm loving high jump, I'm loving all these champs, so I'm just going to go with that, so... It was never like a decision. It was more the fact that I kept getting injuries. So I kept having to miss training, which subsequently meant like I wasn't fit enough for the heptathlon. So yeah, it was a, it was a weird transition, probably not the like normal route because it was never like a formal decision. But yeah, that was the main reason. It sounds like high jump found you yeah. <laughs> as opposed to you it's finding so the high jump. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really true. <laughs> And so my podcast, Define Your Success, is actually all about peak performance, Mm -hmm. resilience and wellness strategies. Um, But also this one specifically is about your Olympic experience. Mm -hmm. So we will be touching on a few of those points as we go through. But could we start with your Olympic experience? Mm -hmm. I know this may be a touchy one, but can you share, yeah, just your Olympic experience as a whole? Yeah. For Tokyo or? For Tokyo. So... 
Tokyo is obviously a weird one. It was five years instead of four years. Um, and for me, I think the timing of it was like a blessing in disguise. Um, because after 2019 Doha year, I was just so burnt out. Like I came out of that championships just being like, I don't know if I even want to continue with the sport. Like I'd really just completely lost love of the sport. So I think having almost like a year out just to kind of like redefine my goals and just see where I'm at and just see what I actually want to do with my career was really helpful and just kind of like reignited that spark. Um, for high jump and for athletics so yeah one got down to the time of qualifying obviously you've got to qualify come top two at British champs and kind of like secure your place on the plane um yeah and then everything from that was just from that moment it was like right okay the only focus now is Tokyo anything that's going on around um all I'm going to focus on is this competition and for me my main goal was to kind of like emulate what I'd done in Rio, so make the final and kind of better from that. Um, yeah, the games itself was so was so different to I think anyone could ever imagine. Like it was such unique games with the fact that there was no crowd, um, COVID tests every morning, um, yeah, just mask wearing everywhere, and it was almost like the COVID games in a sense. Like that was a big factor of everything, but I think like the underpinning part of it all was that everyone was there just to perform at their best. It was like everything that was going on around us, everyone was just focused on competing and yeah, getting as, as far as they could. Or as high um, as they could. Or as high as they could. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you mean as high as far as they could in the rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And so, oh wow, there's so much to unpack there. Mm-hmm. But um, specifically on the Olympic experience, what would you say your highlight of the games would be? I honestly loved the holding camp. I think it's like such a unique place because you've got all different sports around you. Um, and it's a place where you literally can just like focus so much on your performance outside of the actual village. And it still feels like the Olympics, but it doesn't feel like the Olympics yet. Like you're, you're just in that mode where you just need to keep training, keep your head down, just for me, I was like, I just want to kind of like keep to myself and just keep my energy high and just do things that I like. Um, so that was really important for me, just being in that, being in that environment and just feeling like so supported by everyone around you and like just that kind of like one team feel, which like feels like a bit weird at the time, but actually looking back at it, like you do feel like you were supported by absolutely everyone. So yeah, I think obviously that's a bit outside the Olympics, but the holding camp was... It's like it's always been a really big thing thing for me. Yeah, I agree. And I love that one team philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think it was a unifying mantra. Yeah. That agreed. actually I still hold on to yeah. right now, <laughs> a few months after the games. And oh, I should have started with a low light. But yeah, what was your, what was your Olympic low light or challenge or frustration? Um, yeah, obviously the injury was a really, really big um yeah, challenge, hundred percent, because it was almost like, so it happened in qualifying um, and I almost didn't accept it because I was like, how on earth could I have got injured? Jumping 195, feeling fine. Literally, as soon as I took my spikes off, I was like trying to walk through media and I was like, I can't put any pressure on my foot. And I, yeah, I just didn't accept it because I was like, there's no way I could have hurt myself that bad um, to not be able to do the final. So yeah, those two days between the qualifying and the final were 
like the probably the longest days of my life. I was just like in the room, just in floods of tears. And I was like, I think I've broken my foot. And then Dina, who'd broken her foot a few years ago, was like, I promise you haven't, like it would have swollen up loads. You wouldn't be able to walk on it at all. And I was like, okay, cool. So I haven't broken my foot. Um, and the docs were just like, oh, it'll be fine. Um, just give it a few more days rest. Like we'll do everything to kind of fix it. But I think no one knew that it was a bone injury, um, which obviously you, you can't, you can't rush. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a huge challenge because I, it was such a challenge anyway to kind of get to the games, to make the final. Um, I jumped the season's best to make that final. So I knew I was in great shape. Um, so yeah, it was just hard to not be able to kind of like show what form I was in, in the final. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it would be remiss of me not to mention the other challenges that you mm -hmm. had leading into that, not having your personal coach with you. Yeah. And I don't know whether you're okay with me to share this, but you mm -hmm. had mentioned previously the challenge of not really being able to manage your own training plan. So yeah. potentially being aware that the ground was a little bit hard mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, at the training track yeah. in in, in in Tokyo, mm -hmm. your coach may have said, oh, actually, should we reel it back in a little bit? Should we yeah. reduce the training sessions? So I guess on your part, it's actually that mm -hmm. uncertainty and the fact that potentially this could have been an injury that yeah. may not Avoidable. have had to happen. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part. It's like looking back at all the things that kind of contribute to that injury, they were so avoidable. Um, and I think, yeah, not having a personal coach there is is so difficult because you've I mean, I've worked with him since 2016, that whole Olympic cycle, um, and then, yeah, no contact, nothing at the Games. Um, but I guess that was, that side of it was almost kind of like psychological. It's like you can kind of just detach yourself from the situation and think, this is awful, but we've got a job, and I know that at the end of the day, he'd want us to just focus on the competition. Um, but then you've got the other factor, like training program-wise, and... Yeah, like you said about the hard track, um, the sprint session spikes, my feet were quite sore after that. And just kind of like managing that training side, managing the physio side, like almost having to be my own coach, own coach, own manager. Um, Scott was super helpful, but obviously he's he's not my coach. So he's not going to like take things away from my program or add things to my program. So, yeah, I think that was another big challenge of the games. Yeah. So actually, even from a performance, resilience and wellness perspective, mm -hmm. you have nailed so many aspects there. So even in terms of, for peak performance, you mm -hmm. need a team around you, you yeah. need your core team, Understand. you can't be managing things on your own. This is why mm -hmm. as athletes, we're actually quite a good example of how um, to perform well across yeah. areas of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about having a core team around you, your mm -hmm. coach, your physio, and not having to lead everything yourself. I think from a wellness perspective, as athletes, we are maybe seen as a little bit superhuman or something. Yeah. And you're saying, you know, psychologically, we've got to be at my A game. Mm -hmm. My coach would expect me to just get on with it and yeah. just to push forward. And I think that is really good for a period of time. Mm -hmm. But actually reflecting back to what you said after Doha and the burnout that you felt after the World Championships, yeah. what contributed to that? I think many things. So... I got injured in April in our training camp. It was quite a small injury, um, but it kind of just kept carrying on. It was like, I hurt my calf and for the rest of the season, my calf it was like calf pain, calf pain, calf pain. Um, and then I wasn't performing well at all. Like I did one competition where I couldn't even get over my opening height 
and that was a few weeks, I think it was like two weeks before the British Champs and I was just like, what is going on? Um, and then kind of spiraled down from there and obviously with Doha being quite a late championships as well. Um, yeah, I think it was all a bit too much in hindsight. I kind of wish that I hadn't even done the championships, but there's no way I would have not done a world championships. Like that's obviously what you train for all year. So yeah, I think it was just many things. I think it was mostly the injury and then kind of like kind of trying to carry on my season as if the injury hadn't happened. Um, whereas I wish I'd just kind of had the injury, taken a step back and been like, right, it's a late championship anyway. I'm just going to make everything later and not worry about all the competitions in the, in the middle of it. That makes sense. So there's just a major gap there <laughs> as I got my thoughts together. Um, so I kind of want to go circle back round to the mm-hmm. peak performance, resilience and wellness focus. Yeah. Of the podcast. So let me start that again. <laughs> As an athlete at your second Olympic Games, yeah. what did you learn, one key lesson you learned from a peak performance perspective? That I learned at the Games or before the Games? At the Games as a result of being at the Games. Um, peak performance. In hindsight, I think less is more. In that, in that main part, that holding camp, um, going to the village, I think less is more, because obviously with my foot, I think I probably overdid it a bit because I was like, I want to do every single last thing I can um, to make sure once I get onto the track, once I, once I get there, I know I've done absolutely everything, which for me is always like working that 10% harder, but actually that, that could be also mentally, that could be also having the strength to say, actually I've done enough in this session, I feel confident that I'm in great form, I don't need to push it, I don't need to prove anything to myself, just know that you're in in that shape, you've got yourself there for a reason, you don't need to add anything more, so in a weird sense that, I think. No, it makes absolute sense, because I think you've already, what maybe people don't understand, um, if you're listening and you're not not an athlete, you've already been working for five years up to that point. Yeah. So you've, you've laid you've all the foundations. <laughs> yeah. So if you do miss a session because maybe you're, you are tired, that's yeah. actually okay because yeah. this is the part where you need to focus on the rest side mm-hmm. and the recovery more than the putting in the grind, um, putting yeah. in the work. From a resilience perspective, mm-hmm. what key lesson did you learn as an athlete from the games? Resilience-wise, I guess I'm kind of still learning that one, in a sense. Like, the ability to just kind of move on from something in a way and just kind of, like, rise above it and kind of, like, yeah, just come back stronger. Because with the injury, I've kind of found myself looking back at what could have been and you've just almost got to take the lessons from it and just move on to the next thing. So I guess the next chapter <laughs> will be almost like the resilience from that games and just seeing that, right, this is the shape I was in and I know that I can get there again. And just, yeah, just kind of like moving on from that. In this moment, no one can see me, but I'm doing mini clappy hands because <laughs> I'm very excited that you have this mentality. And how old are you, Morgan? Uh, 24. Literally, 24 years old with this <laughs> amount of wisdom. I know you are a psychology student at True. university. Oh, you've just graduated, just graduated actually. yeah. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. But honestly, you're displaying so much more wisdom, um, you know, than your years would suggest. So that's amazing. 
And I think that's exactly what it is. Resilience is moving forward. It's bouncing back and it's bouncing mm-hmm. back. Actually, you can bounce back better than before. Yeah. From my perspective, obviously, you know, in 2016, I ruptured my Achilles tendon mm-hmm. and then took time off. And then resilience for me was actually come back, get back into the game. Yeah. And thankfully, I was actually able to jump further than wow. I had previously. So if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and just um, finally on the performance, resilience and wellness perspective, mm-hmm. as a, an athlete at your games, what, yeah. at the, your second games... What one key lesson did you learn from a wellness perspective? Um, from a wellness perspective, it was just doing things that make you happy and just make you... Like, for me, I'm, like, huge on gratitude. So, like, every morning, I just kind of think about things that I'm grateful for and it's kind of, like, intentions for the day and stuff. And I think that just keeps you in such a good mood because even on days we're just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go to the track, I don't want to train. Just, like, finding out the tiniest things, even if it's just, like the coffee or I don't know just like the sun shining or something like that um yeah I think that kind of got me through every day and just kind of like started you yeah started each day in a happy way and are those strategies you use generally each day I try to obviously some days are harder than others um but yeah I definitely try and incorporate that every day awesome thank you so much I just have because obviously I have my um I have my focus for mm-hmm. this podcast, define your success and all these things. But I just have two final questions for mm-hmm. you. The first one is, um, can you define success? Like, what is a picture of success in your life? Um, so for me, I guess success is based on, like, just fulfilling my individual goals. I think it used to be quite different. It used to be, like, what I deem success is for other people and trying to kind of fit that mould. But for me, it's just, like... If I've got personal goals, just just try and reach those like for myself. So yeah, I think that's what how I define success. Awesome. And is there any key message or something that I've not asked you that you mm-hmm. really feel that's burning on your heart that you want to share with my listeners? Um not like anything burning, but I think for me I've definitely this year just found that when I'm happy and when I'm enjoying myself like that's when the good results come. I think so many times I've had to like try and make myself more serious. <laughs> um, but actually once you're happy and you actually kind of like feel 100% yourself, that's when like your big performances will come. So yeah, that's brilliant. My key message. Awesome, thank you so much. It's just so <laughs> good to spend this time with you and I really appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. you. I am super excited to introduce Tom, Gail, who made his Olympic debut in Tokyo. So, Tom, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please introduce yourself, tell the listeners why they should listen to you? Oh, okay. Um, So, yeah, my name is Tom Gale. I'm 22 years old and I am a British high jumper. Uh, My PB is 2.33 and I think you should listen to me because for my age, I've had a lot of experiences which I think can benefit a lot of people. that the wisdom shines Mm. through Mm -hmm. i've been so impressed with you over this past couple of weeks thank you yeah i love it so what are your um big accomplishments in the sport so far uh so so far um i'd say the number one is uh, i'm an olympic finalist from tokyo always a great accolade yeah you know can't take that one away from me i've done that now (laughs) Um, and you've got the rings on your arm to prove it why would you bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was no, they can't even see it. You just out to me for no reason now. Um, what else? Uh, a silver, um, under, I'm a 
silver medalist at the European under-23s and a bronze medalist at the European under-20s. I've competed at the Commonwealth Games as well, but didn't quite do as well, so... Why? What happened at the Commies? Um, I was still very young, and I was still learning how to train effectively, so I had a really phenomenal year, 2017, and then 2018 I had not such a phenomenal year, and I didn't make the finals. So what was the difference between having a non-phenomenal and a very phenomenal year? Um, I think the difference between them was the pressure I put on myself. So in 2017, it was literally just all for fun. I was just doing it because, you know, it was a hobby outside of school. I was still in sixth form in 2017. So um, it was more just like a part-time hobby. And then in 2018, I made it my full-time job, but way too much stress on myself. And then I just wasn't recovering from training properly either. Um, that's just something I've learned to deal with over time. But um, yeah, I'd say it was definitely just the pressure I put on myself, which made the difference. All right, awesome. I feel like another podcast host can talk to you about all of that experience uh, that you've learned through like training, how to train well, how not to train. But I really want to focus on the Olympic experience. Tokyo. Yes, Tokyo. Tell mm. me about it. What was your Olympic experience like? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to start with saying it is very overwhelming. Your first, <laughs> first Olympics when you're as young as I am, you kind of turn up and you're just a baby on the team. Um, you're just surrounded by just the peak of athleticism <laughs> in the world. And you go from, it's almost like when you go from primary school into secondary school. You go from being the big fish in a small pond and you are by far the smallest fish in an enormous, enormous pond. So I turn up and I was just saying like, yeah, I'm sick, I'm amazing. And I literally went into the food hall and I was like, I am the most bang average person here. So that, that was the first experience. I, I feel like we're going to have to have a conversation about affirmations after this. But it's about like, affirmations? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, you're going to get deeper about it. You're going to help me progress as a person. Absolutely, that's what I'm I've, here for. I appreciate that. Um, but no, as, a, as an experience as a whole, it was just, just phenomenal. Uh, I think it was... The way that I can turn that around is just to say I was a very small fish in a big pond, but it just shows how much progression I've got left to do. And the time that I spent with the older uh, athletes older than myself kind of taught me a lot about the way to manage my body, how to ma manage myself mentally outside of the event. Um, so yeah, it was, it was amazing. I can't really explain it any better than that. I love that. I do want to pick up on that point that you made, made about interacting with the athletes older than yourself. What else did you learn? What did they? What wisdom did they share with you that you're going to take away and apply in your own life going forward? Uh, so from other athletes, it was very much just a way, like just seeing how much they do to manage their bodies. Um, I shared with a room with Dave King. Uh, he's 27, maybe 28 now. He trains with a lot of really phenomenal athletes in Phoenix, and just seeing the fact that he's literally doing just little and often, just doing it maybe twice a day, little little bit of stretching here and there. And then just seeing that, you know, the priority was to just chill and relax. And um, yeah, when you're out there, the priority is just to make sure you're in a good mindset, really. Not, not to just go and have a, a fun experience. Yeah, true. Definitely. I love that. And I think as you get older, you do start to realise the benefits and the importance of prioritising rest and recovery and making sure that you have good strategies in place. Mm -hmm. So what was your, can you share a highlight from your Olympic experience? So I'm going to sound like such a fanboy here. Basically, um, there's a, a basketball player played for the 76ers. His name is Matisse Thibault, and I watch his podcasts all the time. Not his podcast, sorry, his, uh, his vlogs on YouTube. 
So my goal was to get a picture with Bam Adebayo and Matisse Thybul, um, and I managed to get a picture with Matisse. I, I remember I walked out of the food hall, I was with the 4x4 boys, so Cam, Lee, Joe and Nick, I think, and I just turned to the right and I see him coming, and the way in internally, I was screaming. <laughs> I was like, no way. It, and you know what? I think the worst part about it was the fact I realised, again, I'm just... So I'm six foot four. I'm a tall guy. <laughs> yes. When you go to the Olympics, your six four is average. Mm-hmm. It is the most average height going. And then seeing the basketball players humbled me a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I love that point that you made. Oh, I don't know who made it, actually. It was, it was just about, we are literally around the top. One percent, mm-hmm. <laughs> the top, the, the top 0.001. <laughs> so you turn up and you're like, I'm phenomenal. I'm part of that one percent, and you're like, just, <laughs> just <laughs> I'm about, just about, like, yeah. But when you make in the podium at an Olympic Games, then you will be at the top, and then I'll, yeah. and then I'll be the point one percent of the point one. Yeah, there you go. That's what we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. So how about an Olympic low light? Low light. Um, so I'm somebody who. I very quickly move on from the um, the wins. Do you know what I mean? I very much... So as I said to myself before the Olympics, I will be content with my result if I make the Olympic finals, which I did. Um, I then went on, uh, did fairly well, jumped 227, which in most other Olympics would have been a fairly reasonable performance. But then the fact that I finished outside of the top 10, I very quickly moved on from, oh, I'm happy to make the finals, to saying, oh, I only finished 11th. So it was that almost that like hedonic adaptation just to go from that r- very quickly to go from, yes, I've made the final, just to that normal state. And then to go, okay, now my, ne- my next goal is to make the podium. Mm. And realistically, with, um, I haven't mentioned the fact that I was injured while I was competing. Realistically, the podium wasn't going to happen. But because I wasn't even, in, wasn't even near it, wasn't even in the main competition, I very much just, that was a low light for me. That was something I kind of found very frustrating. So it was a low light because you were so far away from where you actually see yourself being, mm. despite the obstacle of um, the pain that you were probably experiencing. I don't know whether oh, you were feeling it was pain. <laughs> like, okay, let me put this into context. The day of my finals, I couldn't sit on the toilet unassisted without using the wall. I couldn't go into that squat position because my knee hurt too much. And that was before my finals. So I was. I should definitely pat myself on the back for competing, but it was the caveat of whenever I say, oh, I finished 11th, it was having to say, oh, I did well considering the circumstances, because I look at that and I'm like, well, I should have managed myself better to not be in that situation. Okay, so I can definitely see why you've held on to the conversations that you've had with those older athletes about management and recovery and things like that. Then what was your Olympic highlight or low light? So, low light certainly was the bittersweet moment of making an Olympic final. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Season's best. In fact, that has to be a highlight, surely. Surely. Uh, entering the stadium, the atmosphere, the excitement, the buzz. Uh, like, literally, you didn't even, it didn't even feel like there wasn't um, an audience, that there wasn't... What do you call the people in the stadium? A, a crowd. crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you needed that coffee to be <laughs> So it didn't feel like there wasn't a crowd, but mm. the... The low light was certainly in the final, just just not really being in the right, having the right pattern on the runway and then underperforming essentially. That was definitely a major disappointment. 
Oh, something we should mention, we finished in exactly the same position. Both of us finished 11th, didn't we? Twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And also what's great as well, I love this because we're getting the perspective of a, a young Olympic debutant mm. at the age of 22, right? Is that mm. correct? And then an old, mature Olympic <laughs> debutant, <laughs> myself, yeah. at the age of 31 years old. Mm -hmm. So nine years difference and uh, different lessons learned, I guess, from that experience. Actually... On that thought process of lessons learned, what lesson um, can you take away from a peak performance perspective from your Olympic experience? From a peak performance perspective? Um, so whenever I compete, the lessons I try and take about myself is not so much taking the lesson from the environment, but taking the lesson from how I reacted to it. So the fact that I was in so much pain and it was very difficult for me, it really showed me just how resilient I am and how the fact that I can still go and perform even when I am in pain. So that was one of the main lessons. But also it showed me that um, just how much I actually do want to go and perform on that stage at a really, really high level. And I said to myself, as great as it was, so many people said to me, because um, one thing I should mention was the high jump final was, I said previously that 227 would have done very well at any other Olympics. And I always say to people, in 2012, 229 got a bronze medal, whereas this time it got you 11th. And mm. everyone's like, oh, it must have been amazing to compete in such a phenomenal final. And I'm like, no, because it made me look terrible. And <laughs> <laughs> I literally said to myself, I never want to compete at a final like that again. Oh, sorry, not at that level. I never want to be outside of the main competition. Mm. I want to be competing for medals. So it kind of showed me that the sport is developing. There are a lot of phenomenal athletes out there. And I learned that, you know, as, well, as much as I'm working hard, there's still a lot I have left to learn. Yeah. So the two lessons were, I'm very resilient and I've got a lot left to learn. So what does resilience mean to you? How would you it define means that? you can kick me down nine times, I'll stand up. 20 you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, it's just one of those where you know I'm not I am stubbornly resilient you know I, I said to myself at one point you know maybe I shouldn't be competing and then the way that I was just like how I was even offended by myself just even <laughs> thinking that so um, challenging yourself talk I love that <laughs> yeah definitely exactly and that's actually one one of the main ways I think that I've progressed as an athlete I've kind of learned that if I have a second where I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I'm not competing very well, I can almost just scream at myself and say, now nah, look at all the times you've mm -hmm. performed phenomenally well in terrible circumstances. Exactly. I mean, terrible because we were literally in the midst of a pandemic. Mm. So um, on the wellness perspective, you spoke about the Olympic Village being really quite overwhelming was your word yeah. <laughs> overwhelming yeah, yeah. Uh, the first so, experience was overwhelming yes. <laughs> so how did you center yourself how did you just get in the right healthy frame of mind to perform when it mattered so it's just about being very aware of yourself and how um even on, even on this camp we're on a lot of people have very high social batteries and then as we know as people who don't have that sometimes you need your your me time you know what i mean so whenever I, I've learned, sorry, I was shouted then, didn't I? <laughs> um, I've learned about myself how long I can spend time with people. So it's not about letting myself get overwhelmed and then spend time on my own. It's about managing my time and then being like, okay, I know that if I do this too long, I'm going to be overwhelmed. So just let me have my me time before I even get there. Okay. So... Oh. 
you've talked about having your me time, but mm. how did you do that when we, you, you probably, you were sharing a room with David King and you were also sharing an apartment. So how did you get that escape? Um, well, I know Dave is somebody who likes his me time as well. So it's about, you know, it's not just about knowing yourself, it's about knowing the people on the team. So you make your friends and then you can find somebody who, although you might be together, you're not talking, you know, you're comfortable in each other's space, but you, you're also comfortable with each other to say that I can sit with you and not have that conversation and just do my own thing. Can you just give me a picture of the Olympic Village? Okay. Like, paint a picture for us. It, oh, God. It's almost like a, a little city with a central hub, and that central hub is the food hall. <laughs> there might have been um, a previous Olympics, I've always been told there's areas where you can go like go and play FIFA or stuff like that. So, you know, you, you almost have two central hubs, but it really is just a little city with multiple apartment blocks. And then you have all the buses lined up. And apart from that, I, we even had shops. I, I forgot about that. We even had shops down at the bottom and we would actually get had bikes. Had a little bit of a mall. <laughs> yeah, literally, I forgot about that, actually. But, um, yeah, it was big enough that we had to cycle down so not to tire ourselves. So it's just, it's a little city. Yeah. It's crazy. I love that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to add about your Olympic experience that I've not asked you or just a burning point that you want to share with my audience? Burning point I want to share. 2024 <laughs> Tom Gale, Olympic champion. There we go. Ah, you heard it here first. I'm so <laughs> excited. Thank you so much for um, joining me, Tom. No worries. Now, you may have thought that those were Tom's final words, but as I've said, I'm new to this podcast recording game and I didn't have questions in front of me. I just thought, you know what? I could roll with it. I didn't need to be super prepared. Oh my goodness, that was a lie from the pit of hell. Anywho, I um, I asked Tom to record a response to a question that I really wanted to ask <laughs> that I didn't ask when I initially uh, when I initially interviewed him. So here it is. So my advice to any aspiring Olympians, um, I'm going I'm to put it into two points. Firstly, um, learn a lot about recovery. So firstly, prioritise, you know, your sleep, learn what your normal pattern is, educate yourself on nutrition, um, and also just like make sure you pay attention to your body and what it is that you, you know, the points where you get really tight, like maybe your hip or your back. And secondly, just remember, you know, when you compete on a higher stage, it's the exact same thing you've done a thousand times over. So, you know, as a high jumper, it's about me and the bar. It's not about me and who's there and where I am. So, um, yeah, it's just, just remember you have done this a thousand times over. It's just, in a, it's just a different stage, really. And that's, that's what you gotta remember wherever you are. Hey, so as a bonus snippet, as I mentioned at the beginning, I have interviewed my friend and fellow Team GB athlete, Cindy Semba, for a final perspective of the experience of a two-time Olympian, where she focuses on the mindset shift and the difference in her level of confidence between her first and her second games. Here goes. Welcome to the podcast, Define Your Success. Thank you for being here. Can you just Thanks introduce you yourself really quickly? So my name is Cindy Sember. I am a 100 meter hurdler. I run for Team Great Britain and I have been to two Olympic Games. Awesome. So, and that is exactly what I want to speak with you about today, very briefly. So I have two questions for you. Can you tell me about your Rio Olympic experience? 
Yes. So my first Olympics at Rio was a very, very good experience. I was very young and just new to the overseas travel and just competing overseas. So it was definitely just like a eye-opening experience. Saw a lot of amazing athletes, people that I watched on TV and just wanted to always compete against were there. So it was really, really cool seeing all the other athletes and all the other sports come together was really nice. And yeah, I just felt very overwhelmed with joy and very happy to just be there and have the opportunity to race. And I also performed well and better than I probably thought I would. So I was very pleased with that. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun and really, really good. In terms of your performance, can you just share a little bit about your performance in Rio? Yeah, so I didn't plan. So going into Rio, I was not ha- holding too high of expectations, but I also wanted to perform well. So my goal was just to make it through each round, make it to the final, you know, just like kind of get there. And so as I continued to progress, I won my prelim, I got second in my semifinal. Um, I, I saw myself performing so well that I was like, okay, well, you know, if anybody makes it to the final, it's anybody's game. So I tend, I try to have a positive mindset and I think that helped me to finish fourth um, because I just knew that, you know, once you make it there, anybody can, anybody can do anything, you know? So that was how I kind of finished well. And it was bittersweet. I'm not going to lie because it would have been nice to have the medal, but at the same time, it was nice to have that experience as a young, as a young athlete and taking that into my next game. So was very helpful. Awesome and sweet transition there. Can you tell me about your Tokyo Olympic experience? So Tokyo was quite the different experience for me in terms of just everything going on with COVID and just the restrictions we had to have. It was not the same Olympics I was used to, uh, but I was very, very honored to still go because, you know, we might have not had it that year. So I was very happy it still happened. Um, Performance-wise, not the best performance performance for me there was a lot of other outside factors that kind of went into that and didn't allow me to perform my best um but you know I had a lot of stuff happen up until that time with rupturing my Achilles tendon and having injuries throughout those five years of waiting so you know that just to make it back there was honestly a big feat but um yeah not did not perform as well as I would have preferred to so definitely going to go for a third one and hopefully that's that's where I'll do what I want to do So in terms of a mindset shift, in terms of kind of contrasting Rio to Tokyo, Rio, you're an Olympic debutante and in Tokyo, this is your second, that was your second Olympic Games. You're kind of coming in with five more years of experience and wisdom under your belt, not just from a performance perspective, but from the whole picture of the Olympic experience, the village, the holding camp, the team, everything like that. What would you say were the key differences and similarities between those two experiences yeah like I said I I had five years like you had mentioned and so that helped me so much with my confidence and my uh, mindset I didn't go into it thinking I was a rookie I was like Cindy you've had experience overseas you've competed against many of these people before so you have the ability to do really really great things and like I said other other factors affected the performance itself but I was a hundred percent like a better athlete. I definitely was just, you know, physically capable. I had all, all it took to do well. So, um, it just wasn't a good day, but in terms of, um, like my actual athletic, uh, background, everything had improved since Rio, everything. I was a better athlete overall. I was way stronger, way more mentally fit and just really ready to go. It just didn't come together, but, um, but yeah, I am very happy that I had the opportunity to go to two and especially in a year like this and hoping to go to Paris 2024. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you answering those questions. For sure. No problem, Abby. (laughs) Hey, so 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode, but it's not over. I want to finish with a final takeaway for all you leaders out there. So this is my leadership perspective part of the podcast that we'll hopefully get at the end of every single podcast episode. It will be short and sweet. So I'm going to zone in or zoom in, I guess, on one specific aspect of the conversations that I've had today and it is going to come from one of my three core coaching areas specifically peak performance and within that it's affirmations and within that it's going to be self-talk so Tom calls himself stubbornly resilient and challenges his negative self-talk because ultimately we'll all have negative thoughts that crop up at one time or another and we may even dare to say them out loud. Oh my goodness. But you can choose not to believe what you think and say if it's not in alignment with who you are or who your purpose to be. So let me ask you, what are you saying to yourself? And most importantly, do you call yourself out when your self-talk denies your brilliance? Because yes, you are brilliant. For Morgan Lake, she wants to succeed when it matters at the biggest stage. Her self-talk says, this is awful, but we've got a job to do. And how about Cindy? I'm not a rookie anymore, she says. Her self-talk reminds her of her experience and caliber to take on the best in the world. This is the elite athlete mentality that we can all seek to emulate, to enhance our performance in work and life, whether you're a leader or not. So go on, what will your self-talk sound like going forwards? Thanks so much for listening to Define Your Success, a podcast about living with excellence, joy, and resilience from an athlete's perspective, applicable to all. Please subscribe. And if you like what you're listening to, please share and give us a review. Links to relevant blogs, videos, and other growth activities are in the show notes. Until next time, stay blessed.